Good evening, dear friends. And here we are. New week of Tanya, new chapter of Tanya, and we're moving into chapter three. Here's what we're holding. The author of it told us in, in chapter one, if you want to really get to understand yourself, if you really want to understand what your mission in life is and how to actualize that mission and that purpose, we need to first teach you the concept of two souls. Every Jew has two souls. And in chapter one, we got introduced on a very basic level to the first soul, which is called the animal soul, the natural soul. Chapter two, we got introduced to the second soul, the divine godly soul, a piece of God within every single Jew. And we also got into a bunch of other very exciting topics in chapter two, like the concept of the body of the Jewish people, the interconnectivity between all souls. And I actually got two questions last week, which I want to address. And I mentioned this last week, but I want to establish it more uh, uh, properly now, which is, you know, Tanya is very deep. And the nature of deep stuff is that it, uh, it, stretches, it stretches our mind. And sometimes we're taken into concepts that we've never even thought of before or that are counterintuitive. So uh, you having a lot of questions is pretty natural. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so I want you to feel comfortable to always email me or call me or text me. And God willing, um, I will address those questions at the beginning of, of, the, of every class. Like that we could, uh... so I had two questions last week, which I want to address briefly. And interestingly, both, both are similar questions. One question was about conversion. If somebody converts to the Jewish people, are they included in the, uh, in everything we spoke about in chapter two of having a divine soul and being a body part of the collective of the spiritual body of the Jewish people? And, um, and that perhaps we should be more inclusive. Uh, and this was a very, this wasn't shared as a criticism. This was shared as just a, uh, a note that perhaps we should be more inclusive to make sure that we're always including um, converts as well. So to the point of the question, the answer is from the, from the perspective of Judaism, once somebody converts and once Judaism sees them as part of the Jewish people, it makes absolutely no difference at that point. So without getting into the whole idea of what does it mean to convert, what is the spirituality of conversion, um, you know, beyond the idea that you are agreeing to something and accepting something upon yourself and that Jewish law now, uh, you know, gives you that status of now being a Jew, on a soul level, what is happening? That's, that's, a, that's a conversation for itself. But it doesn't take away from the fact that when we speak about Jews um, throughout all of Judaism, we, you know, it, it's in no way to the exclusion of converts. Once somebody converted and is seen by the Torah as part of the Jewish people, there's absolutely no difference. That's to that. So uh, in no way was anything we were saying last week, there's no qualification when it comes to converts for any of the conversation in chapter two, as well as the rest of Tanya. I don't even think any conversation about converts comes up at all in Tanya. It's being about all Jews and converts are part of that. That's that. Uh, then I got another question. I got another question. This other question, interestingly similar question is, what about a Jew who converts out of, out, of, uh, out of the Jewish religion? Do they lose their Jewish soul? Do they, do they lose that status? Interesting that my mother had a friend who converted from Judaism to Christianity uh, so he could marry this lady. Mm -hmm. And he went to the priest. And the priest told him you can convert and you can do what you want. But you're born a Jew, you are a Jew. Well, that's what the priest said. So from the perspective of Judaism, and this, this, this falls, you know, this is definitely a very strong implication of last week's class. We don't see your status as a Jew or the status of you having a Jewish soul as something which you have to earn, or it's like a status, like a, a extrinsic status that you have to kind of learn or earn and develop the way like your your college degree is right you're not born with your college degree your college degree is not part of your essence it's not innately part of you it's something which you earned right that's not what judaism is 
your soul is is your is your very essence is moses any more of a jew than me and you was moses more jewish he was a much better jew the answer is no take the worst Jew you could ever conceive of take moses they're equally a jew literally and that's the way it works i'm saying the same way saying is an 80 year old very you know think think of the best just the best person the best mensch uh such a moral and good person 80 years old the prime of a human being compare him with a uh, month old baby that all he or she knows how to do is make dirty diapers and cry <laughs> through the night is the 80 year old more of a human no <laughs> because right, human is not something which is based on your behavior how much it, it's it's your identity so if there's a human being who says, you know what, I don't want to be a human anymore, I'm going to be an animal. I want to be a chicken, or I want to be a flower, I want to be an apple tree. Okay, you can act like an apple tree, what do you want to say? You can do whatever you want, you, you can't divorce yourself from being a human. So that's the answer to that question, that uh, your soul is your very identity, it's your ultimate identity. The same way you can't get rid of any body part and change, you know, like, it's... At the end of the day, it's you. It's part of you. It's your identity. So rather, what is Judaism? Judaism helps a Jew live their life in accordance with their identity. That's the difference. Judaism doesn't make the Jew. Judaism helps the Jew express their Jewishness. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> chapter 3. In chapter 2, we learned about the soul the general identity the general personality of the soul which is it's a piece of god so the soul wants to connect with god the soul is spiritual not just spiritual it's holy it doesn't have a a, a sense of ego a sense of self chapter three we're finally going to start learning about uh, the anatomy of the soul the moving parts the, the you know the the nuts and bolts of the soul how does it work could be you heard this joke from me once before. Jackie Mason joke. You ever heard this? Probably. Once an old Jewish couple driving driving on the highway, their car breaks down, and the husband like was one was one of those guys who just had to be like the know it all, right? He was the Mister Know It All. Uh, you know, he was never the guy who just had the humility to say, "I don't know. We got to ask somebody." He always he always had the better ideas. Okay, that was his. That's a stereotype. So the car breaks down, and the wife starts freaking out. What are we gonna do? And this old husband says, "Don't worry." Uh, I think I know what the issue is. It's something to do under the hood. <laughs> you know, we tend to think of the soul as sometimes, we think of the soul as being very simplistic. The soul is just like, you know, it's just like a very pure force within us, a soul. And we don't realize that a soul is a very complex being equally as complex as a body just think about the anatomy of a body and even more complex because a body's anatomy at the end of the day is physical which makes it a lot easier to define and uh, just look at and assess and the soul being metaphysical being a spiritual force and yet being such a complex being is is a it's a real it's a real study to get to understand the soul chapter three the author is going to start introducing us to under the hood of our souls. If you take a look here on page 42, this is the soul map. It could be you've seen this once before. We've done it sometimes in the class. We've had these types of maps here before. Uh, God willing will make some more sense of this concept. I just wanted to show you the map. And during today's class and also next week's class, we'll be unpacking this map a little bit. Let's do some reading. You ready, guys? Page 43, part one, the 10 soul powers. Here we go. The Alta Rebbe writes like this. Now, every divine soul contains 10 powers. And specifically, these 10 soul powers form the structure of each of the three facets or levels of the divine soul, Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. So, you can access one can live with their soul on three different levels of the soul 
And no matter what level of the soul you are operating on, you will always have this exact same template. The soul operates in a very, very predictable and um, it, it, it's, it's across every single person's soul works the same. It's uniform. That's the word I was looking for. In a very uniformed fashion. So what are the soul's 10 powers? Before we learn about the soul's 10 powers, the author is first going to teach us very briefly a very beautiful idea, which is like this. Right, you know, every single time a baby is born, what's the first question everybody asks? Uh, not the first, but you know, what's what's one of the typical things that people see when you see boy a girl. boy or girl? And then when you see the baby, you hold the baby, you look at the face, and when you start saying, "Which parents?" Oh, who does he look like? Who does she look like? So let's work off the theme from uh, from chapter two. Chapter two began saying we have a piece of God within us, and that piece of God is just like a child. A child is a piece from the parents, from the father. We're a piece of God. So who do we look like? We look like God. God. Who's our parent? Who's the parent of our soul? It's God. So we look like God. So the soul's ten power, the, the ten soul powers reflect God himself. What does that mean? Let's read. The soul's ten powers mirror the ten heavenly sephiros, the divine energies from which they originate. You ever heard of this term before, sephiros? God has ten sephiros. We have ten soul powers, and God as well has ten sephiros. Let me explain this to you briefly. God is an infinite being. What does infinite mean? Infinite is a very, infinite means you cannot put any type of definition. Infinity is beyond definition. The moment you define something, it's finite. Okay. And God wants to make a world. Is our world infinite or finite? Our world is very finite. Everything is automatically limited. I'm sitting at a table. This table is, first of all, a specific size. It's not any larger, it's not any shorter. It's this material, it's not another material. It's in this place, it's not in that place. It's here today, it wasn't here five years ago. Is it gonna be in the sand? It may not even be here tomorrow. So you have an infinite God creating a finite universe. So what God did, and this is a big concept in Kabbalah, but I just want you to know, it's on the one end a very mystical idea, it's also very classical Judaism. We even make reference to this. We allude to this concept in every single day's prayers. But you can miss it easily. You know, like sometimes you're saying prayers and like, you know, it's like, you know, we're just talking about God and just saying all these random descriptions. It's actually very precise, the wording in prayer. What God did was God isolated from within himself, from, from within his infinite self, 10 specific forms of energy called the 10 divine sephiros or divine energies. Each of these energies are different and unique and finite. And all of creation, all the cosmos, spiritual worlds, our physical world is the combination of God's 10 divine energies. Now God is beyond just these 10 energies. God is a God is an infinite being. But in the way God relates to the world, there's only 10 energies. Now, it's a little bit of a deep concept to understand. When we'll talk about these 10 energies within us, we'll start being able to understand what it means that God interacts with the world with these 10 energies. Because we mirror that, which is actually a beautiful concept. We are like a mini version, we're a micro version of how God created the world. The world is a combination of 10 divine energies. We as well build our universe and interact with our universe with these 10 divine energies. So the 10 powers within the soul come from God. Let's read a little bit more. The 10 heavenly sephiros are split into two categories, which are, these are the two categories, three mothers and seven doubles. Three mothers and seven doubles. That explains a lot, no? 
(laughs) (laughs) This is Kabbalah language. You know, just a little bit off topic, but sometimes people say, you ever heard of the idea that Kabbalah is secretive? You know, like, you know how to learn Kabbalah? And by the way, the name of Kabbalah is Sod, secret, which means the genre of Jewish mysticism is called Sod, which means a secret. But what, why is it a secret? Is it because no one tells it to you? It's not why it's a secret. It's a secret because even if you, meaning you, you could go to a bookshelf and buy any book of Kabbalah you want. Yeah, but try understanding even one sentence from it. You have these types of words. Everything is metaphors. And uh, everything's written like in code. Three mothers, seven doubles, what does this even mean? But when, when we explore these 10 powers within ourselves, we'll start relating to it because we own these 10 powers as well. So it becomes a very relatable concept. So 10 powers into two categories, three mothers, seven doubles. Specifically, the first three of the 10 sephiros comprise the internal mind of God. These are the sephiros of Chochmah, Bina, and Das. These sephiros are metaphorically termed mothers. Right? We're not explaining yet, but God, the first are called Chochmah, Bina, and Das, and those are the first three, it's called the mothers within the 10 sephiros. Next paragraph. The last seven sephiros are God's tools to interact with the external world. These are the sephiros of Chesed, Gevura, Teferis, etc. So the altar only tells us the first three and assumes that we'll know the remaining four. These sephiros correspond to the seven days of creation. Oh, this is fascinating. Each day being an expression of a particular sephira. We have a seven-day week. Why is the week seven days? We don't, we don't tend to think of it, but one of the biggest proofs uh, that all of society came from somebody, all societies, from the east to the west, from somebody who believed in creation is the idea that we all share a seven-day week. And there was a time in the East when the week, there was a certain culture that made an eight-day week, but that was something which they changed at a later time in history. If you go back to the earliest civilization, any civilization we have on record, there's always a seven-day week. Okay. Where does it come from? God created the world in seven days. Why did God create the world in seven days? Each day corresponds to another one of the seven doubles. The first day, Sunday, is when God created the world with chesed. Think about it like, we, like you're making a cake. You have a mixing bowl. You put in one ingredient at a time. First, you put in flour. All you got is one ingredient. Then you put next day, you put in another ingredient. Every day of creation, God created the world and added a new energy into the world. And the world changed based on the new energy inserted. So this is a whole area of, of Jewish thought. What is the connection? How does day one and what happened on day one, how is that an act of chesed? How does that express chesed, the first sphere? Okay, but here we have this idea. God creates the world with 10 divine energies. Three are considered more intellectual energies, divine energies. Seven are what we call the doubles and they're the creation of the world. Why are they called doubles? Even think about it. Every day has two parts. There's a night and a day. Every divine energy has two forms how it could express itself. Okay, but that's this is not relevant. Okay, that's about God. But if that's how God, if that's God's model in creation, we act the same way. And here's the point. Did I just lose you with all that? With yeah. getting, getting, uh, getting, getting turned off by all this stuff. Okay, the soul's ten powers. Similarly, within the human, the divine soul's ten powers are divided into two categories. There's intellect and emotions. Here's what's becoming a lot more relevant. Take a look on page 42. Let's look at the map. This is the map and laid out in a very specific way, right? Like an interesting schematic um, of the ten soul powers. It goes from right to left, like Hebrew, and uh, top to bottom, like everything, I guess, right? Okay. On the top right, this is soul power number one, 
is called Chachma, wisdom. And then you have on the left side is Bina, which is understanding. You have Dat, which is knowledge. First three are intellect. And then you have the remaining seven, which are the emotional soul powers. And the soul is always operating using really all ten of these soul powers on a constant basis. Now, what I want to do with you, I want to show you a little video. It's good we have a screen here also in person. This is a video which was actually produced a few years ago for one of the JLI courses. And it's a wonderful video. It'll give us a tour of the 10 soul powers, and then we'll be ready to, uh, to plunge on forward. All right? Let's do this. There we go. In the beginning, God decided to do the impossible, to create a finite, diverse universe within his infinite, indivisible self. God first created the mystical Sephirot, ten divine channels through which his infinite light could be condensed, contracted, and then released as individualized attributes that could eventually give rise to a diversity of finite creations. Let us make man in our own image, said God. No sooner said than done. Man was created in his creator's image with his own internal set of ten attributes through which he operates. These ten spiritual attributes are reflected in the physical human anatomy. Let's go through them one by one. Sephira 1, Chachma. Chachma is the initial seed of an idea, the flash of undeveloped inspiration. It enables us to be creative, spiritual, transcendent. Sephira 2, Bina. Bina is the development of ideas. It enables us to be logical, analytical, organized. Sephira 3, Dot. Dot allows us to focus on an idea so that it becomes relevant and personally meaningful. It enables us to be attentive, principled, involved. Sephira 4, Chesed. Chesed is the power to love, share, and look kindly upon others. It enables us to be generous, optimistic, sociable. Sephira 5, Gevura. Gevura is the power of discipline and restraint. It enables us to be calculated, cautious, serious. Sephira 6, Teferit. Teferit is the power to empathize and to harmonize kindness with strictness based on the needs of others. It enables us to be balanced, empathetic, harmonious. Sephira 7, Netzach. Netzach is the power of determination to overcome challenge. It enables us to be persistent, forceful, daring. Sephira 8, Hod. Hod is the power of humility, gratitude, and submitting to a higher cause. It enables us to be thankful, devoted, accommodating. Sephira 9, Yesod. Yesod is the power to focus on others and to build genuine relationships. It enables us to be selfless, altruistic, loyal. And last, but not at all least, Sephira 10, Malchut. Malchut has multiple functions. It is the power of speech and action, effective communication and leadership, and to be receptive to others. It enables us to be leading, communicating, achieving. So there you have it, the 10 components of the human self the internal mechanism upon which all intellect, emotion, and actions run. God used ten sephirot to create his universe, and we use our ten sephirot to shape our miniature universes. All right, how are we doing? That was a quick tour. That was a quick tour. So that is the inner anatomy of the soul. Okay. Let's start exploring a little bit further. Okay? Now let's do some inside reading. Let us begin again on the bottom of page 43. I'm sorry, where it says that the soul's ten powers. Similarly, within the human, the divine soul's ten powers are divided into two categories. There's intellect and there's emotions. Page 44. The intellect contains the first three powers. What are the first three powers? Chachma, which is wisdom or inquiry. Bina, 
understanding or cognition, and das, which is knowledge or recognition. That is the human intellect. The soul has the power of intellect. Okay. And the emotions are the final seven powers. And specifically, the emotions of the godly soul. The godly soul doesn't have emotions towards, uh, you know, pizza. Right? <laughs> what are the emotions? Or what is the godly soul getting emotion, emotional about? There's the love of God, which results from chesed. There's a trepidation and reverence of him, which results from gvura. There's venerating him, which results from teferis, etc. We're going to understand all these concepts. What are the three levels of intellect? What are the emotions? This is the bread and butter of Tanya. Here we're just getting introduced to the concepts. But very soon you're going to be all professionals in exactly what all these concepts mean. All right? But here's the key idea. If chapter three has one message that is the key point of this chapter, it is this next paragraph. Let's read this. Parents and children. The intellectual powers of Chochmah, Bina, and Das are called the mothers and source of the emotions. For emotions are the children of the intellect. This is critical. This is an important piece which is going to be so important for the later chapters of Tanya. When the author of starts actually giving us some practical tools and advice. Emotions don't exist in a vacuum. This is a very important rule. If you look at the map of the 10 soul powers, what's very important to realize is intellect, in a certain way, is the entire engine of the soul. The soul really operates. What makes the soul tick are the three intellectual components of Chachma Bina Das. Emotions are children. They come about because of the intellect. Let me explain this to you for a moment. Let's think through this for a second. So I want this to make sense to all of us. Let's try to think very practically. What do we have an emotional, what's an emotional attachment or emotions, emotional associations to something that we all share? What do you say? Love, love of family. Love of family. Let's talk, let's talk about something a little bit less instinctive. I think it will help us. I think money. We all love money. <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe we're not talking like, you know. Yes, let's say it. We all love money. If you don't love money, I'd love to uh, have a, a consultation with you. <laughs> if any anti-Semites just zoomed in. <laughs> right, exactly, right. Uh, an anti-Semite could just... Uh, yeah. Trim those few words. Here's the point. When we lose money, does it hurt? It hurts. When we get money, do we feel that that rush of energy? That's, that means that we have an emotional association with money. If we hold a $100 bill, if we got it, there, there, there's an emotional association. It's not like a hammer and the nails. Maybe Michael has emotional association to his toolbox. <laughs> no. no, I'm saying, you know, it's not like something which is just a utilitarian tool that we need within life. We have an emotional association to money as humans. And then, right, I don't think that needs any, any, uh, any more proof or anything, right? That's okay. My Shana, she's three years old. Does she have an emotional association to money? Not yet. She's probably pretty close to, she's almost ready to start uh, having it, um, but not yet. Mendel already has it. When my Shana and my label, who's eight months old, when they see a dollar bill, or if they, if they see a hundred dollar bill, to them it makes no difference. One dollar, a hundred dollars. To them, what is money? Nothing. Best case scenario, best case scenario, it is a piece of paper. That's a good point. It's a piece of paper to color on. <laughs> but more commonly, just it just gets uh, ripped into shreds, right? But even coins. Joey saying a very good thing. The Rebbe was very into the idea that children have to be trained to give charity from the earliest of ages. And what the Rebbe wanted is that children, before they learn that money is power, their first awareness of money is that it is stucco. 
Think about what that does to a child. Even before they learn that money buys them candy, they know that money is charity. That's powerful. I don't know. You want to look? Because I'm not going to go look, all right? You could go look. I don't know. If I knew, I would tell you. We could look, okay? So let me ask you the question. Why does my Shana not have an emotional association to money? What, what do we have that she doesn't have? Knowledge of what it can do. Oh, a knowledge, intellectual awareness. This is the first, it's a very simple idea. But uh, it's surprising how underappreciated or maybe how unknown this simple concept is. Emotions don't just exist. Every single emotion is the result of a cognitive awareness which gave birth to that emotion. Once a child learned that money can get him or her something, all of a sudden they realize money is good. I love money. Simple as that. Once there could be an appreciation. So what's the idea? Let's just let's just unpack this very, very simply. If somebody says, you know what? Judaism just doesn't talk to me. I don't know. You know, I sit in a synagogue. It's a schlep. Prayer is boring. I don't blame anybody, by the way. <laughs> Which means, yeah, I mean, if your whole if, if if prayer is all about going to synagogue and reading Hebrew words that you don't even begin to understand for forty-five minutes, yeah, I've got news for you. Yeah, there's nothing exciting about that. That you know, that is the ultimate definition of boring. So prayer is boring to me. Judaism is boring. I just I just don't connect to it. What should I do, right? I'm just not one of those Jews that enjoy Judaism. What's the answer to that? Yeah, of course. What did you expect? (laughs) You're going to be automatically turned on. No, that's not the way it works. You want to have an emotional association to something? Do you have an understanding and awareness of what it is, what it could do for you? Learn, which means no emotion ever lives in a vacuum. That's been awareness, a knowledge, and then... Same thing. Somebody says, you know what? I, I don't feel anything about God. I just don't feel God. I don't, I don't feel any type of relationship to God. I don't have any emotional association to God. Again, it's, it's don't be surprised. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, you know, it's something which has to be developed. Or in other words, you have to give birth to that emotion. This is the simple idea the author is telling us over here. Hillary, do you have a question? No, okay. Oh, I'm no. Sorry. No, I'm okay. sorry. I you unmuted. Okay, no problem. Let's unpack how this works a little bit more in detail. There are three components of the intellect of the soul. Let's get to know those three parts. All right, let's start. Let's start the journey. Part two in page 44. The mechanics of intellect and emotion. How are we doing with time? We're doing okay. Okay. Let's explore this idea, right? The author is going to bring us into the idea. Let's begin with Chachma, which is commonly translated as wisdom. Although the translation doesn't really give you much, uh, much, much insight. Okay, but that's the English word. Wisdom, Chachma. What is Chachma? What's the first step? The first soul power. Let's read The divine soul contains the intellectual power to explore and comprehend all things, to reach for and introduce new concepts and ideas into its mind. This power is called by the name Chochmah. What does that mean? Chochmah is two, there's two details. There's two ideas within Chachma. You know, we take it for granted as human beings, but there's something very beautiful about humans that we have the potential to be inquisitive. We can always grow our knowledge. And we're never stuck where we are. You know, animals and God, God, you know, I, I just took mental yesterday. We were in Chicago yesterday for a wedding. And I brought my kids to the zoo. Um, 
so especially Mendel, I was able to share with him some ideas. So we saw these, uh, you know, these antlers with massive, with massive. So I was, I was, I told Mendel that that's, uh, you know, the, these antlers, the only, the only defense that they have to fight back. If there's a predator in the wild. They go and, uh, and attack with their chauffeurs. <laughs> and then we went into the uh, reptile, uh, reptile house. And he realized it's very hard to find the reptiles in the cage. God gave him the gift of camouflage. I was, uh, you know, so we went through the idea that every single, uh, every single animal was given different gifts by God. So God created animals with uh, tremendous intelligence, right? Some have tremendous intelligence. Mm-hmm. But there's something which makes, which is a clear line between human and animal, which is animals can never expand their horizons. Whatever information they're born with is what they got for life, right? You can't, you can't teach an, uh, an old dog new tricks, even new dogs. How much could you already teach a dog? Very little. You can't teach a dog philosophy. Meaning if it's something which was born to be able to process, then good. If not, it's impossible. Humans have the ability to always reach past whatever they know. Which is, which is a very beautiful idea. That we can, we can even be aware that there's something which we couldn't know that we don't know. And we can reach for there. That's called Chachma. That's the first step of Chachma. Simply that the soul could even reach and try to grasp and pull something, something new into its consciousness, that's Chachma. That's part one of Chachma. Part two of Chachma is not only that we are capable of reaching out, but that we actually get something. What's chachma? Chachma is what we would call in English the uh, the light bulb moment, the, the flash. So here's an example. And maybe maybe you, maybe you would feel that you had this experience maybe in the tiny classes, because some of these classes are sometimes deep. Maybe I'll be saying something, and I'll be introducing you to a concept in these classes, and you'll be sitting there for five minutes, ten minutes, and you'll be confused. You'll just be like, I just don't even, I don't, I don't get what's happening over here. Ever had that? Just, just, just an idea is not starting to, it's not clicking. And all of a sudden, in one moment, but you don't give up, you, right? You continue listening. That's Chachma. Chachma is to never give up, to say, you know what? I don't understand this concept yet, but I'll, I'll go for it. And all of a sudden, in one moment, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a split second, you'll feel that gush of power that I just got. It just hit, it just clicked. Did you ever have that? You had maybe a group who was trying to uh, problem solve, maybe you're like in one of these um, escape rooms and somebody, you've ever done that? Or, or it could be anything, where you're studying something, or you're in a group setting, or you're playing a game, you're playing chess, you're playing one of these, you're, you're playing Wordle, very good. <laughs> Let's say you're looking at Wordle, and you're looking at the board, and you're, and you're just gone. You just don't, and all of a sudden, it's a second. It, it's, it snaps into your head a new idea, a flash of inspiration. That's Chochmah. Chochmah is the ability for the soul to reach for something new, and to get that spark of something new. And you feel it. And it's not a subconscious feeling. It's a very, it's a very palpable feeling. I just got that. That's Chochmah. And the beautiful thing is, the is gonna show us, it's actually embedded in the word Chochmah. How do you spell the word Chochmah? Let's look over here on the bottom, page 44. Chochmah is the fusion of two Hebrew words. Right, the word Chachma, I have it here in the book, is two, is four letters. Ches, Chaf, Mem, and He. Really, that's a combination of two words. The first word is Koach, which means a power or potential. And Ma, Ma means what? The power of what? Or a power, we know we have power, but we say Ma, what is it? Right? Maza. What is this? I know I've got an idea. Chachma is when you get the flash of an idea. No, I'll put it this way. Right, so let's go back to that idea. You're trying to figure something out, and all of a sudden, in a split, oh, I got the idea. 
But sometimes I say, you know, don't disturb me. I'm thinking through this, right? You know what I'm talking about? Which is a very funny thing. You, you know with confidence that you have an idea, but you say, but I don't really have it yet. I got to develop it. You know, it's like, it, it, I don't know why I think of it this way, but for me, just the way my brain works, when I learned about this concept for the first time, I right away thought to the game, tell me if you know this game, um, Traffic Jam? No, it's called something else. You know what I'm talking there's about? There's a game called Traffic Jam. Trying to get a car out of a Yeah, there's a red car. Yeah, so you have a grid. Right. You have a red car, and each each level gives you a bunch of, of cars and trucks to put on. Mm -hmm. You have to try to get the red car a clear lane out. I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's one of these just puzzle games. And that, you know, at the beginning it's very easy, and later on it just, and the cars are stuck. You can't, and you know, they're, all the cars are interlocked, and you feel stuck. And all of a sudden, one more, oh, an idea falls into your head. And the funny thing is, you don't even know the idea yet. It's going to take you 10 steps of moving this, then that, then moving it back, right? So, so even before you have it figured out, in your mind, you have the flash of, I've got this. That's Chacham. There's a power, but ma, I don't know yet what it is. All right, let's read on top of page 45. On the level of Chachma, the idea is only in potential state, still an elusive energy and idea. Karen's asking a very interesting question. Have you seen the octopus teacher? The answer is I've not. Is there a way to explain the ability to learn in an octopus or other animals that research has established learn? So, you know, I don't want to get too carried away, Karen, with the, with, the, uh, with the example that I gave of contrasting humans with animals. Um, it's, it's not the point of it. The point is that we humans have the potential. If animals do have it or don't have it, it was only as a uh, as way of illustration. But maybe there's an animal which could learn new things. Okay, I, I thought that your comment was that um, only humans have that right. capacity. Uh, I think I did say that, but the but that's not the the tiny doesn't contrast humans with animals. That was just my way of uh, bringing out the idea. Okay. But I could I could maybe be wrong, although I don't think I'm wrong. But I, okay. <laughs> but it's it's definitely worthy of a uh, further discussion. This is chachma. Chachma is the idea that we humans could reach and be novel, be creative, problem solve, and bring in new insight, new ideas into our mind. None of us were born knowing two plus two equals four. We had the potential to know it, but it had to be taught to us. And simply the receptivity to even want to learn something and to even be able to be introduced to a new concept, that's Chachma. And at the beginning, when you try teaching a kid two plus two equals four, they don't even get the logic behind it. And then in one moment, it clicks. They'll say, oh, I got it. I just got the logic. And then for the rest of their life, they're now going to know two plus two equals four. Not because they memorized it, but because they get it. The moment the kid gets it, that's a Chachma moment. But in Chachma, the idea is very raw. It's not developed. It's when you have an idea and you know that you've got an idea, but you don't even know what it is. I figured it out, but I can't share it with you yet because I don't even understand what I figured out myself. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You ever, you ever had that feeling? Chachma is the gift of a very raw nugget of inspiration, a seed of light. But that seed of light is very raw and is very underdeveloped. You have to develop it. So that brings us to the second soul power. Bina, which is translated as understanding, is when we take something and we can develop it. By the way, do you guys know in the English language what's the difference? What's the difference between an idea and a concept? They're synonyms, but it's a different word. Idea is a raw idea. A concept is a developed idea. So idea is when it's in its raw state. Concept is when it's already flushed out and developed and concept car. What was that? The concept car. They think of it and then they build the concept car. Right. And the concept car began with an idea. Right. You first have an idea, you make it into a concept. Right. 
Chachma is the idea. Bina is the concept. Let's read. Bina understanding. The next phase of the divine soul's intellect is when you fully develop the idea from its potential state. In Chachma, the idea is raw. It's undeveloped. There's a potential. There's a koach. There's a power here. But it didn't turn into anything yet. You got to develop it. So what's Bina? Let's read. This is accomplished through mindfully meditating upon the raw Chachma idea contained in your mind in order to develop the concept to its full richness and depth. This contemplative process is called Bina. When you take a raw idea and you flesh it out, let's really organize this idea. What are all the details within this idea? What are the implications of this idea? You know, the word Bina, what is, any of you know a Hebrew word which is similar to the word Bina? Oh, no, 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 but using the same, the same, uh, the same letters. B-I-N-A-H, what was that? B'nai, what does B'nai mean? House, or, or people, children, children? It can mean children, or it can mean? People, a people. We say in, in, in we, right, we always say, we, we ask God, Bona Yushalayim, what does that mean? We build Jerusalem. Bina is building. What's Bina within our mind? We're building. We're building an idea. I've got an idea. I got to build it into a concept. Let's flush it out. And in Judaism, there's an idea that every single concept has length, width, and depth or height. So there's three ways to build. This way, that way, and up. So that's that's Bina. Chachma Bina. And let's read one more paragraph and we'll conclude for today. And this is again the key idea of today's class. Intellect gives birth to emotions. These mental processes of Chochma and Bina are the father and the mother which give birth to the emotions of love, reverence, and trepidation of God. Chochma is the gift of a raw package of potential. That is the male function, right? Which biologically, we also have, right? Biologically, we all understand. That's the male. Chachma is male. Chachma is the male ability to bring a new potential for something new, for new life, a new idea. But just like physiologically, the male's contribution is very insignificant if it's not developed, it turns into nothing. And it also needs to be developed very quickly, right? And even within our mind, we all know that. If you have one of those chachma moments, then you say, you know what, let me, uh, let me go shopping. I'll go to Costco. When you come back, where's your chachma idea? It's lost, it's gone. You gotta develop chachma right away. It's, it's very interesting how within the soul, the male and female relationship, it's, it's, it's you know, in general, within the world of Jewish mysticism, you kind of see everything starts merging. Everything is layered. It's the same model, just repeating itself over and over again. Male and female is one of the models that God created the world with. We see that in our physical world and also exists spiritually. Within our mind, there's a male and female component. By the way, Bina is a woman's name. Why is Bina a woman's name? Because Bina is feminine. What's the female role? Females don't, don't make babies. Females develop babies. Do you understand that? Bina doesn't make ideas. Chachma comes up with new ideas. Bina develops Chachma's idea. Bina is the power to flesh it out. Chachma is the father. Bina is the mother. Bring them together. What do you have? No, children. What are the children? The seven emotions. What's Das? Here's a good question. What's that doing there? Generally speaking, physiologically, uh, there's only, uh, all you need is a male and female in order to create children. But in, within human intellect, there's three parents. Okay, I'll leave that, we'll have to leave that question open. Let's watch one more video.
And this will introduce you in more detail to the seven emotions. Each emotion is very different. Let's watch this video. It's a very fun video. And then we will close up today's class. Here we go. Your emotions boil down to seven basic traits. Kindness likes everyone and everything. She likes your friends, your coworkers, and the ficus on your coworker's desk. It needs water, all the water. And she likes puppies, lots and lots of puppies. Your coworkers spend too much time on the internet and not enough time taking care of their ficuses. They know who they are, and discipline's going to tell them. And he's putting those puppies up on Craigslist. Harmony's noticed that dying ficus, but she knows that coworkers have an occasional bad day. Maybe they need cute little puppies, and maybe you'll take one too. Endurance is ready to take on a challenge. He'll train that puppy, he'll water that plant too. And if there's a meeting with a big potential client on Monday, he'll be there over the weekend to get the presentation down pat. Humility is going to ask your coworker to do the presentation with you. Because while you may know a bit about your in fiscal earnings, he knows a lot about how to work that PowerPoint remote. Plus, then you can ask him for some tips on puppy care. Connection wants to form a deep and meaningful bond with that coworker. And those puppies. And the ficus. Nobility knows your puppy and plant depend on you, and she knows your coworkers are depending on you too. And she'll do it all with dignity and grace, because you're here doing what you're good at, and it's what you're meant to do. All of these personality traits come together to form 49 permutations of yourself, 49 distinct and separate types of emotional traits and reactions, coalescing into a crowded and sometimes chaotic chorus. You're gonna need a lot of puppies. All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a cute little video about each of the seven. Next week, we're going to learn a little bit more in detail how the divine soul, where you know, the optimist is going to actually walk us through the process, how the divine soul uses intellect to create emotions, and we'll learn about Das. What's Das? The third cognitive power, which in a certain way is the most important. And with that, we conclude. I want to thank you all for joining, especially here in person on Zoom. And have a good evening to all of you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Julie and Doug. Wonderful to see you guys again. You as well.